welcome to the Oncology on Air podcast. I am Dr. Prashant. This is part 4 of our series on diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and in this episode we will talk about immunodeficiency associated lymphoproliferative disorders. Immunodeficiency associated lymphoproliferative disorders encompass various conditions linked to congenital or acquired immunodeficiency states leading to an elevated risk of lymphoproliferative disorders the world health organization classification identifies four main categories primary immunodeficiency disorders which includes conditions like wiscott aldrich syndrome ataxia telangiectasia common variable or severe combined immunodeficiency x linked lymphoproliferative disorder nijmegen breakage syndrome hyper igm syndrome and autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome The second category is individuals with human immunodeficiency virus infection who are at an increased risk of lymphoproliferative disorders. The third category is post solid organ or marrow transplantation which can lead to an elevated risk of lymphoproliferative disorders. The fourth category is methotrexate or other iatrogenic related immunosuppression such as with methotrexate or other drugs used for autoimmune diseases. Lymphomas observed in this setting are diverse and may involve Hodgkin's lymphoma or more frequently aggressive non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Shidiac Higashi has also been linked to an increased incidence of pseudolymphoma and true non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Lymphoproliferative disorders associated with primary immune deficiencies are often seen in pediatric patients and are commonly associated with the Epstein-Barr virus infection. extra nodal disease including involvement of the central nervous system is prevalent morphologically lymphomas in patients with primary immune deficiencies do not significantly differ from those in immunocompetent hosts dlbcl is the most frequent histologic subtype although t cell lymphomas are more common in ataxia telangiectasia epstein barr virus related lymphomatoid granulomatosis is linked to Wiscott Aldrich syndrome these malignancies typically respond poorly to standard therapy and treatment depends on both the underlying disorder and the specific lymphoma subtype allogeneic transplantation has been successful in some cases ongoing exploration involves novel immunotherapeutic or pharmacologic strategies targeting epstein barr virus a newly recognized large b cell lymphoma known as epstein barr virus positive mucocutaneous ulcer typically occurs in the context of age related or iatrogenic immunosuppression patients usually present with cutaneous or mucosal ulcers despite aggressive histologic features resembling hodgkin like features it exhibits an indolent course with nearly all reported cases responding to the reduction of immunosuppressive therapy we will now discuss hiv associated lymphomas HIV associated lymphomas encompass various subtypes most commonly diffuse large B cell lymphoma or Burkitt's lymphoma with rarer histologies such as plasmablastic lymphoma or primary effusion lymphoma Approximately 2/3 of DLBCL cases in this context are associated with the Epstein Barr virus Historically outcomes for HIV associated lymphomas were poor but with the advent of combination antiretroviral therapy outcomes in the modern era are similar 
to non-HIV lymphomas, especially when HIV is well controlled and the CD4 count is above 200 cells per microliter. There are several key considerations in the treatment of HIV-associated lymphomas. First, combination antiretroviral therapy is usually given concurrently with chemotherapy and collaboration with an HIV specialist is essential to avoid administering antiretrovirals that may exacerbate chemotherapy toxicity. Secondly, the optimal chemotherapy regimen and the role of rituximab in combination with anthracycline-containing regimens for HIV-associated DLBCL has been debated. Rituximab may be beneficial for patients with a CD4 count of more than 50 as it has shown improved survival in the HIV-negative setting. Third, concurrent administration of granulocytic colony-stimulating factors is advised due to high risk of infection in this population. Patients should also receive prophylaxis against pneumocystis gerovaci infection. Dose-adjusted etoposide prednisone, vincristin, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin with rituximab, DAR-EPOC, has been tested in the HIV-associated aggressive lymphomas, demonstrating favorable outcomes, with a 5-year progression-free survival of 60% and overall survival of 73%. Our EPOC chemotherapy was compared to short-course EPOC with two doses of rituximab per cycle and this comparison showed a two-year overall survival rate of 63% and 66% respectively. The rationale of giving two doses of rituximab per cycle was to improve efficacy and reduce toxicity. Furthermore, modern combined antiretroviral therapy regimens can be safely combined with chemoimmunotherapy. This combination is recommended by infectious disease specialists and is considered the standard of care. Attention should be paid to the drug interactions such as those involving protease inhibitors which may increase vincristin-associated toxicity. For treatment of HIV-associated Burkitt's lymphoma, both R-Codoxm-IVAC and dose-adjusted EPOC with rituximab can be safely administered to HIV Burkitt lymphoma patients and they should be treated similarly to their HIV-negative counterparts. We will now talk about post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorders. PTLDs arise due to immunosuppression following solid organ, bone marrow or stem cell allografts. The risk is influenced by the degree of immunosuppression with higher risks in heart and lung transplants ranging up to 10 to 25% compared to kidney and liver transplant 1 to 5%. Pre-transplant Epstein-Barr virus seronegativity is a significant risk factor for EBV-driven PTLDs. PTLDs encompass a spectrum from EBV-positive infectious mononucleosis to clonal polymorphic PTLDs and ultimately monomorphic PTLDs which can be EBV positive or negative, which are further subdivided into B-cell lymphomas, common being DLBCL, and rare T-cell lymphomas. Indolent B-cell lymphomas are not classified as post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorders in transplantation recipients. The incidence of EBV-negative PTLD has risen, displaying late-onset 
and a poorer response to therapy, often presenting as monomorphic lymphomas. Clinical presentations of PTLDs vary based on location, commonly involving extranodal sites such as gastrointestinal tract at 25%, lung, skin and bone marrow, to name a few. Primary CNS lymphoma is also possible. Treatment objectives aim to cure lymphoma while preserving graft function. A reduction in immunosuppressive drugs achieves response in a minority of patients but additional systemic therapy, especially for monomorphic or late post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorders, is usually required. Chemotherapy tolerance is low, with treatment-related mortality reported as high as 31% with CHOP chemotherapy. In cases of poor tolerance to combination chemotherapy, single-agent rituximab has been explored in first-line setting. While it is extremely well-tolerated, achieving response rates ranging from 40-75%, to the remission duration can be short in many patients. A prospective phase 2 trial showed an overall response rate of 44% at day 80 and a one-year overall survival of 67%. Another study in treatment-naive PTLD patients administered four weekly doses of rituximab with subsequent therapy stratified based on CT scan response and this study demonstrated a three-year PFS and OS of 75 and 70% respectively. A PTLD-adapted prognostic score was proposed indicating that single-agent rituximab might be suboptimal in high-risk groups. In such cases, a response-adapted treatment approach involving sequential therapy with RCHOP is considered. Reduced immunosuppression and single-agent rituximab are reasonable first-line treatments with sequential therapy with RCHOP for those not achieving complete remission after reduced immunosuppression and rituximab alone. For patients with very high-risk aggressive disease, RCHOP can be considered as frontline treatment with GCSF support and pneumocystis gerovaci prophylaxis in the treatment. With that, we have come to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening.